I think honestly, if you are listening and even have that inclining of a desire or you're struggling with that having being part of your identity, the exercise that I did was I literally wrote it on a post-it note and put it up saying, I am a business. And it's to this day, it's so powerful. Welcome to another episode of Academics Mean Business. This is your host, Dr. Lindsay Padilla. Today, we have Dr. Josie Alquist on with us. Josie basically starts with her love for college. She reminds me of myself. Um, She fell in love with it as an institution and just knew she wanted to work there. Um, She went right into admin kind of and student service type of levels and decided to actually get um, a doctorate and so she studied social media in higher ed. Um, and this includes faculty, pre- uh, admin, students, kind of the what social media, the role social media plays in higher ed. So that is fun. We talked about that for a while. Um, I love that kind of work. And I think it's so important. And as someone who started teaching um, kind of right when social media was becoming a thing that people were using in the classrooms, we spent some time talking about that section. It was great. And with the work that Josie was doing within, you know, behind the walls of the institution, she had the mindset that she wanted to create an open source uh, way of accessing the knowledge that she was writing her research on and she was giving talks on. And so she started a blog. And in order for her to get her first clients, she basically was reaching out to her network of people that were following her blog, following her on Twitter, and using her social media connections to land her first clients. We go into some detail talking about how she gets uh, keynote conversations, how much to charge for those keynotes, right? How to reach out uh, to the various schools. She even shared that she worked with an agency for a while and how she learned how to negotiate actually via email, which is where most of the conversations are happening, which I thought was fantastic. Um, she also gave some tips on some languaging to use in that. So this is a very practical episode with a lot of kind of takeaways that you can go implement, especially if you're thinking of speaking at the college level that the work that you do or the work maybe that you want to do um, would involve you booking some keynotes or booking some workshops on campuses and and really how to reach out um, in order to do that if that is going to be an income stream of your business. So hopefully you love this episode and please, of course, you know, hook up with us in the Facebook group and ask and Josie is there. She's ready to be asked all the questions that you might have from this interview. So enjoy. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Academics Mean Business. Today, our guest is Josie Alquist. So excited to have her on. She's a listener of the show, which is always fun. Um, and she's actually someone I don't know very well. So this will be another episode where Lindsay gets to learn all about these amazing academics making some cash outside of the academy. Uh, Josie, welcome so much. Welcome so much. <laughs> I am <laughs> Welcome to the show. <laughs> I am so much excited to be here. <laughs> awesome. Man, this is what happens during Batch Week. You're officially my last podcast of the entire week, but I think I've done like eight or nine shows. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so a little intense over here, but I'm obviously loving every, every moment. So Josie, uh, we start with Academics Mean Business on the academic path that that journey, if you would 
share with us what you studied, you know, what you were obsessed with, uh, what you got degrees in, anything that you think would be relevant uh, for the audience. Sure. Well, again, thank you so much for having me. Big fan of your show. Um, And as a fellow podcaster, always looking to learn from Mm. others in uh, in all fields, but especially uh, within higher ed. So I was your student, not your student, but I was the student that was just all in for college from the courses I was taking to being involved in way too many things. And I (laughs) had some great mentors that said, well, Josie, you seem to love college so much. You know, you could work here. You, this could be your life's work is on a college campus. Cause I thought I was going to be like a high school guidance counselor. Ah. And uh, so that came at a very opportune time my senior year because it was around the time to figure out what I was going to do with my life. And I was not ready Mm -hmm. to um, quite grow up and go get a job. So I was like, oh, let's just keep going to school. Right. (laughs) Totally on brand for me. So I found programs for higher ed administration. I got my master's at Northern Mm. Arizona University. um, And it was a focus with student affairs because that's where like I really showed up and shined from student activities, orientation. I was an athlete in college. So just all the things. And I spent 12 years on college campuses from residence life, campus recreation, student activities. Um, Completely loved it. I, you know, I can wear that administrator hat all day. Uh, But then I started to teach leadership courses, which is the other love Mm. of my life. I'm surrounded by leadership books right now. Uh So when it came time to get my doctorate, which it's one of those things I always knew that I would get my doctorate. It was was just, I don't know. It was like born into me. (laughs) Yeah. Cool. I'm a a competitor. um, So also that. Yeah. Why wouldn't you go all the way? (laughs) Totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. So of course, when you're you're advised through the process of figuring out what your research is going to be, they have you think about what are all the different elements of your work um, that really, you know, you really enjoy and then obviously find this pocket in the research that's missing. And for me at the time, this was, um, you know, like 2012 where social media was around, right? It was, you know, 10 years before that you started to see MySpace and Facebook mm-hmm, and YouTube and mm-hmm. things like that. But as you know, like campuses are pretty slower yep, to adopt yep. technologies. And I was always that early adopter and trying to get my department and division to think about how we could incorporate these things to really authentically engage with students. And being in student activities where I'm trying to fill seats and get people to events, it was a no-brainer yes. to always want to incorporate yeah. those things. Yep. So when I and then I also was doing a lot of like guidance and mentorship to especially those that the tech tools didn't come naturally. So like my senior vice president or even my boss about like, well, what the heck is Twitter, right? Mm-hmm. So I was kind of that person to fill a lot of um, digital gaps, I guess you could say. So when I took the leadership lens, my love in working with students and social, that's where my dissertation came oh, from. Cool. So, I studied how um, positional student leaders, so RAs, Greek life presidents, student body presidents, athletes, how they were using and experiencing social media in these very public roles. Ah, interesting. And from there, it really kicked off this entire, which I'm finally calling business (laughs) of speaking. And that, well, we can talk about that. Yes, we will. I love Um, that. I love that. 
of speaking and consulting on social media and higher ed from student engagement to social strategy, executive presence. Uh, and I'm just absolutely loving what it. What an amazing niche. Oh my God. I love it. I, yeah. so I just want to, part of me is just like, Oh my God, I want to talk about like my relationship, even as a professor to social mm-hmm. media. Um, you know, I constantly mm-hmm. see, I was super into Twitter when I was teaching. Um, It was such a great way to observe different viewpoints and different social groups um, as, you know, just like kind of witnessing like what people, you know, just following hashtags and seeing how different social groups were experiencing what was going on in the world. And that I brought into my sociology classroom. So it's perfect for sociology. It was also a way for me to connect to other professors all across the country, um, which I think academia you know, can be very isolating in so many different ways. And so, you know, going to my ASA kind of yearly annual conference, I got to meet these like Twitter people that were in social, I mean, it was so cool. And um, because yeah, I think I started teaching, I started doing my master's when Twitter came out. So a couple Mm -hmm. years later, just realizing that what a tool for students and teachers alike. Um, And I was super into that. But um, now, you know, I think, what's fascinating is that divide between the professional and the personal is a big part of it. What represents the college, um, you know, as a professor, are you tweeting as a professor or as a a human being and that whole thing. And there's a whole bunch of professors who have Twitter handles that say a line like tweets that you see are not representative of the college or whatever. Um, right. So that's interesting. And so you are all wrapped up in that and navigating that as, uh, and that's what you were studying. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. I'll, um, I get in front of a lot of different audiences. So typically campuses bring me in for an entire day. Mm -hmm. I'll meet with students, administrators, executives, faculty. Um, and I'll tell you the hardest crowd is faculty. faculty. Oh, I know that. (laughs) Yeah. They're the worst students. Yeah. (laughs) And, and because I got my doctorate though, Mm. I I have a little more leverage. Um, and, and, you know, like you speak the language, you sure. show them the data, you show them examples like you of, well, these are actually your peers doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I get it. Like there is no benefit within the 10 year process. If you've got 10,000 Twitter followers, sure. no. um, yeah. but there is documented research that shows using Twitter in a course can improve yep. students' grades and engagement. Yep. Like that's pretty amazing, right? Yes, exactly. Uh, and then it's interesting if you, cause especially executives and uh, professionals, they get worried of their presence yep. and what, yep. like, like you had mentioned, what's the brand, what's my yep. voice, personal professional. I'm actually writing a book on Ooh, that. Good. Um, and it, and you if you look at faculty, they're the ones that actually are in hot water the most. Oh, I bet. Yeah. Versus administrators because it is a it's different of the voice they're asked to amplify mm. in other any other form. Um, but when maybe they push that opinion uh-huh. on Twitter, it's much more public. Yes. And Which is interesting. You re- so I talk with faculty, you really have to get to know your campus culture and honestly if they've got your back because Uh, we've got an example that just happened last week at um in fresno where a faculty member spoke out went viral got huge pushback but her universe and she was tenured um and she was good like she there was i don't believe anything like she's 
going to be staying. Um, but you've got other faculty, even when they were tenured, that were released from their contracts. Yeah. Um, so it, and, and some things could be very debatable of based upon what they had tweeted or put it on Facebook mm-hmm. or whatnot. So, um, so I don't blame the, the struggle or the pushback sure. for personal professional, as well as the amount of time it takes. I get it. Mm. So I try to provide lots of tools um, for not just faculty, but students too. Our students are struggling and also have really um, great ideas that could be applicable Mm. for um, all generations. Yeah. What I think is interesting about your field is, yeah, you have the admin side, the college campus side of, um, you know, oh, well, so much, right? As an alumni, I could stay connected to what my school is up to. Um, but then also publicly, it's, it is, you know, a school is a brand, whether we want to, you know, connect the school as a business or not, but it, it really is, right? People mm-hmm. have reputations, students choose to go to schools for certain reasons. And so the idea that they are kind of marketing themselves is something that I think public educators want to balk at, but it's kind of the mm. world we live in right now, right? So there's that. Right. And then there's students and what they deal with as far as social media and um, their own pressures and issues around that. Um, and then professors using it in the classroom as a pedagogical tool, but then it's also, you know, who they are as people. Are they are they tweeting, yeah, as themselves or as the teacher? So, so many facets <laughs> of what you study. Um, and I love it. I think, I think it's so needed. And there's definitely a couple Mm. sociologists that I was super into um, who actually like studied the digital space and um, you know the quote unquote the internet but the social life (laughs) that um, comes out right the culture the um, you know uh, everything right Um, related to digital work and um, that I was always obsessed with as a teacher so it's always been a part of what and I don't know if it's because I was a younger professor too like Mm -hmm. you know I'm (laughs) my husband made a joke I'm I'm one of the oldest millennials I I literally am on that cusp (laughs) Right. So, <laughs> yeah. So I'm 82. I was born in 80 in 82. Okay. Yeah. Nice. So that's like they usually count us in it, but I don't know. I mean, I was kind of teaching a lot of the millennials just because of where I fell. But that's so interesting because, and this may even speak, and this is what my husband and I were kind of talking about as I was talking about this show, and you know, the guests I've had on is is. You know, I, me being this bridge of entrepreneurship and like academia might even be because I am the oldest millennial. So I'm this like interesting gap where I've done it, but I, I walked away pretty early on in my career. Um, mm. And so there is this up and coming set of what, but even I'll say this, even as a professor at my institution, what I noticed is the people about 10 years ahead of me, whatever that generation is. You know, they were just waiting for tenure and or sorry, tenure retirement. And they were five to 10 years out. And they were just like, Lindsay, I'm counting down the days. And here I am bright eyed and bushy tailed like, oh, I got the job and awesome. (laughs) And then, you know, they were already looking for their exit strategy. And I was like, wait, is that going to be me? Um, And I think there is there's definitely something coming with like what this generation is willing to put up with, I think, um, Mm -hmm. and what we have access to. And so, yeah, so I don't know. I, I don't know really what I'm talking about, but I think as somebody who got into academia as a professor 
with the birth, if you will, of social media or like the beginning of it, um, you know, it's kind of always been a part of my teaching. And I can only imagine for folks that it was in a part, wasn't a part of their teaching and they're trying to learn it. Whereas for me, mm. it was a part of my social life and I totally saw the pedagogical value. Um, mm. And so that's, it's just, it's just interesting how, yeah, how, are like if we're a digital native and and you know I don't as an oldest oldest millennial whatever that means I'm co- I'm quoting that or, or trademarking it uh, hashtag oldest millennial but <laughs> as an oldest millennial um, what does that um, you know I wasn't a digital native but I was pretty comfortable with technology because it was in those very formative years that it was coming out so yeah. Um, yeah. Well, I would identify with that as well yeah. since we're, we are um, putting Outing our ourselves. birth <laughs> eight years on the table I was born in 1981 cool. and my mom was a, as a teacher and she mm. we lived in Wyoming so we and you know very like middle class. So we weren't just like bringing every single piece of technology in our home, sure. but she was trying to bring in anything that she could. She was the one that pressed upon me when I went to college that I finally get a cell phone and I didn't want oh, one. Oh, how and funny. Then, yeah. And then for Christmas, she gave me a Palm Pilot. And I was uh-huh. like, I remember looking at my Palm Pilot and looking at this cell phone that I never used. I was like, someday these are going to be the same. Yeah. Things. Yeah. Like they need to be right. Yeah. So I think the interesting about our, you know, like age range is we saw both. Yep. So exactly. And know the value without. We're a good bridge. We make a good bridge. There's something about, yeah, what we experienced and then what we got to play with as a little bit older, right? Your college, I think I got my, some of my first friends got their cell phones. Yeah. Like junior year in high school. And, uh, but we were playing with pagers and stuff and and we thought that was the coolest thing ever, but (laughs) But it's well, but and those years for, are really powerful yeah. years to to be so playing with as that. A, yeah, as a researcher and speaker, especially for college students, this lens has really influenced my pedagogy and curriculum oh, sure. with them because my researchers discovered that students, uh, high school, middle school, college, the messages they're receiving around social tends to be very negative and even shame-based. And they're still messing up. If that's the curriculum that you're trying to produce so they don't make mistakes, which let me just tell you right now. It's like sex ed. You're like, we're setting them up to fail. (laughs) It's basically the same thing. Yeah. So I discovered this in my dissertation research where... You know, they were able to list out all these lists of things they're not supposed to do. Uh And faculty administrators were feeding them these messages. But then when it came to the empowerment side, and that's where I get excited as a leadership educator, Mm. like the what ifs and the possibilities Mm. that they were kind of left to their own literally devices to figure (laughs) out what that could look like. Yes. Um, And so that's where I started to build my speaking especially in front of students around that message because we can make them aware of yeah this stuff exists Mm -hmm. just like when you get in a car especially in los angeles right (laughs) the likelihood someone might hit you yeah you know is high honestly so you need to equip yourself with knowledge of skills of the road Ah, smart same thing with twitter yeah that's a really smart analogy i like that Yeah. And adults don't have it figured out. And so when I get in front of students, I'm also not saying I am this expert on it Mm. either because I've stumbled and struggled and made mistakes online. And for students, especially, they really are relieved to hear that Yeah, because they want to know what it's like to 
be on Twitter as a professional or what ah, an Instagram yeah. account well, that like makes sense. Mm-hmm. a lawyer. Yeah. Um, that's these other interesting pieces of um, conversation curriculum that we haven't gotten oh, to yet. So interesting. So, so Josie, this is all fascinating. And I love that your research is directly related to the business that you started. So if you can kind mm-hmm. of now take us to the, the moment when you kind of realize like, okay, so I'm in academia, I'm doing the thing. This is what I thought I was going to do forever is what I'm gathering is what you were thinking. Mm -hmm. But when did you start to realize that you could be making a little bit of a side income speaking or getting paid? Um, And I think you're in a different an an interesting position because you're kind of doing professional development based on your research. And you can probably get, you know, some speaking cash and stuff. Um, So yeah, what did it look like for you to really go, hey, I can kind of get paid for what I know. Yeah, it was a process. <laughs> and it literally That's a was common something. theme with my guests. <laughs> uh, it was almost this like identity ex- exploration sure. of like what it means to still be an educator because... Mm. I went to get my doctorate not with not even with having the idea I was going to be faculty or a researcher. I assumed I'd stay in student affairs administration. I'd go back and kind of continue to work my way up the ladder, I guess you could say. And it was during my very first year, um, I was just going through a lot at work. I had kind of moved as far up as I could. And somehow the conversation com- came up with my husband and I about like, my career path. And I was getting a little frustrated where I was with work and getting more and more excited about this doctorate and being able to do more research with that. Um, And he threw out the idea of, well, what if you just went to school? Mm. And I looked at him, I was like, who are you? (laughs) (laughs) I laughed literally like that was never a thought that I could even entertain. And then I sat on it for a month and I got more and more excited about it. Um, so once I did go full time, I had more capacity to do extra research and do work with faculty. And what I quickly realized with the work I was doing, um, in my courses, which I already knew right away, it was going to be social media leadership esque is, well, I was creating all these cool like papers and projects. What if I started to share some of this Uh in a more open source way? Uh And because I didn't come from the traditional, like you only publish in these very certain journals that are behind paywall. I was already pretty used to sharing things openly as an administrator. So I started to blog about my Mm. papers. I would chop them up and make them digestible in, you know, 500, maybe a thousand words. Uh, And that's how I kind of... I guess you could say was first discovered. Okay. And um and I just had a free WordPress site. I would blog every single week and I would cite but I would still cite in a very academic of way. Course. And when I tweeted <laughs> out let's say something I wrote, I would also let the person know who I cited mm-hmm. that I had included them. Mm, so all smart. of these researchers were of course like ego. Yeah. Uh, they're like, of course, reply back. And then we get on a phone call and all of a sudden they are mentors and friends. That's now. great. So it was very much that open source process. And so from there, um, being that knowledge source through my blog, I got asked to do maybe some local workshops. Ah. And I was like, okay, sure, of course. Like this is fun to talk about. And I 
thankfully had some really great mentors that were like, Josie, you need to charge for that. <sighs> and walked like, and I feel like in speaking, there is this, there's things that you can talk about openly um, versus those that you really need to have these conversations with one-on-one -on -one sure. about like literally the, we need to talk numbers. Like what is a fair price? What is it going to mean for your taxes? Mm -hmm. What are these negotiable things that I do wish we would talk more openly mm -hmm. about? And I hear people like Katie Linder, um, her podcast, you've got this an academic gig. She actually will tell you what her keynote speaking fee is. Yes. Um, we need, I mean, if you are interested in speaking in higher ed specifically, you need to kind of know because I don't think I would have set my prices the way I did if I wouldn't have had mentors to validate that because, you know, I was maybe having some imposter syndrome of course. just in the doctorate alone and let alone like for charging. No, this is right. So I, so if you don't mind me jumping in yeah. here a little bit, because it's so fascinating. I've done now probably about 30 interviews. We got about 20, you know, that are live or whatever. And I just am finding such interesting themes. And I connected with Lisa Monroe um, and she, her podcast was yesterday. And at the very end, we're at the end of the podcast. We were like, I, and I always keep recording after we say bye and like officially end because some magic comes out in just totally. the like after part. And we literally talked for another hour. She goes, can we, oh, my other podcast guest had to reschedule. So it was perfect. She's like, can we talk about money? And I was like, yes. <laughs> and wow. like, and part of me even starting this podcast was because I am still going through money mindset stuff that is related yeah. to what an academic does and gives away um, and what they get paid for at the institution. And now going out into kind of like an open market, so to speak, how do I even like wrestle with this? And so right. you're bringing up something interesting because I've had a couple guests and I've had personal people reach out to me and say, Lindsay, I think I could speak at colleges. So I would mm -hmm. love for you, whatever you're open to sharing mm -hmm. um, about how you really truly got into this, because I think yeah. a lot of people listening, this is a, a great path in to starting to make some sort of side income. Because what do yeah. we know how to do? We know how to teach. And we probably have some research that we could share. Why wouldn't we, you know, help, you know, colleges? I mean, there's so many different people that we could be sharing this information with. Um, so starting with in person speaking gigs or workshops is such a yep. great avenue for people like us. So if you if you would be open to going into a little bit of these yeah. details, because they're, they're, you're so right. Um, I need to connect with Katie. I like didn't know <laughs> those people existed. Like I'm actually now realizing. So it's pretty funny. Lisa. Oh, me either. Yeah. That's when I discovered your podcast. I was like, I have found the <laughs> Excuse the me, land sorry. where I belong. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Well, and then there's what's interesting I'm finding, and I, I kind of got a little bit into this with Lisa, is she's in these academic... She's so academic starting academic businesses. I'm like, mm. oh, yeah, no, shit. 
Like, why wouldn't we solve the problems that exist in the academy? Because that's where our knowledge is. Um, And then so making that leap of doing it as a business makes sense. And so there's this world of Twitter. And of course, all of us are on Twitter, right? I haven't been on Twitter since I was a professor. When I left my, you know, teaching, I felt like I started this side, this biz on accident. And then, yes, it was related to what I used to know, which was teaching. But I went all into the entrepreneur space. So I Mm. was I felt like I was alone and there was very few professors. And so it's interesting because Katie Linder and then like um, who's a couple people that I've just started to fall into like seeing their work, Jen Polk. And I was like, Mm -hmm. oh, like, of course, like that's a whole avenue to go to. But there is something like I even telling Lisa, she's like, yeah, I'm kind of wanting to venture past being selling to academics or selling um, for the higher ed space. And I'm like, you guys, there's entrepreneurs that need our help and you have no idea. Uh, And so anyways, my worlds are kind of colliding a little bit. And, um, you know, I think talking about pricing is such an interesting mindset thing that I think academics specifically and um, there's something about in academics much more is behind closed doors about money, right? It's not supposed to be about the money. It's about the work and Exactly. We're, we love our job. We did it. We signed up knowing that it wasn't about the money. So now going into starting a business, I mean, it's all about the money, like how you price yourself, how you value yourself and just understanding it. Not that it's all about the money because there are some cool things that I'm doing that is, has nothing to do with money in this space, but it's flipped the, the, you know, importance, I guess, or the position it holds or whatever in respective to other things in my life. You know, it is about revenue. It is about like really paying attention to numbers. So yeah, anyways, a little bit of a sidetrack. Yeah. you know, coming from the mecca of higher ed and education. And, and I don't, so I wasn't truly on the, ever on the faculty, full-time sure. faculty side. I was an administrator and it's one thing, even there's this feeling, especially in student affairs, if you leave it, you're kind of like a traitor, like you've given oh, wow. up. Yeah. Um, so even that was also yeah, like you couldn't hang. I never fully said I am a business or like mm. I'm not. Like I was always teaching other classes after my doctorate and I still do. But I, le- I leaned on that more because I still was honestly quite scared. I was going to be seen now as this outsider. Yes. Um, that then I felt it, very similar. Do you yeah. do you see that that's actually true or that that was in your head? <laughs> um. It may, it may, it may be actually true. I think, I think it takes a very, um, it takes a lot of emotional intelligence within, um, selling, honestly, that Mm. you have to, if, if your market is higher education, you have to be able to walk that very fine line. Um, because I talk to a lot of speakers that are trying to quote unquote, break into the college market and they turn people off so quickly because things that work for other industries will just fall. I bet I can only imagine. So I'm, I'm very lucky that I already had so many years of social capital built up that yes, now I would say, I, I'm not as worried about that. I'm seen as valuable, Mm -hmm. especially since I keep researching. I'm not, Mm. I'm not a thought leader. I don't call myself an expert. Uh, I'm this educator that wants to be relatable and accessible and I can throw data at it too. Totally. So 
But to go back to your question yeah. about um, money and cost, and then also business. like maybe if you could tie that into some of the first moves you made to like once you realize like hey you should be charging, you know. Yes. So tie tie that all in if you if you don't mind. So some of this came from just. <laughs> the right place at the right time. So sure. my first probably five things I did from workshops to all day things was maybe a few hundred dollars mm-hmm. and to, to pay for gas. Yep. And honestly, that's a message that I tell those that are trying to start being known as a speaker. Even if you do this for free, the value is get photos, get video, yep. get testimonials. Like yep. those are your three golden tickets to establish yourself in this space. Mm-hmm. Um, and and get it get those testimonials not only from your contacts, but your audience. So students, faculty, staff, whoever that's gonna be. Um, and then I got a call from someone who brings in speakers often and uh-huh. Um, he gave me a price of which at first I was like, oh, I can't take that. That is way, you can't pay me that much. Um, and I just shut my mouth though, thankfully, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. cause sometimes I'm, I just need to get out of my own way. Sure. Right. Some people see the value in me before I even do. Of course. And so I've been thankful. And so once you realize like, no, I did produce this keynote that was worth that price. Yep. Yeah. Um, And I also was lucky at the very beginning of creating um, my consulting is I worked with an agency that also guided me on, well, this is typically like the range of prices for a keynote. Um, And I've also developed half day prices as well as full day Mm. and multi-day prices. So So you have like multiple options that someone could... So what's nice about that, I have found most negotiating happens through email, Mm. which is kind of nice. Which is surprising. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I develop that rapport. I basically let them know this is what my pricing is. And we go from there. And the skill that I've found is, again, like so incredibly important in negotiations is silence. Yeah. And that's so hard. So you (laughs) say something or you negotiate back. And when you are on the phone and you just kind of sit there and you it's so uncomfortable to mm-hmm. not then be like, Oh, okay. No, it's okay. Like that price is fine or whatever. Um, but the more I, or if I say, well, what's your budget? Sometimes you will be surprised their price is higher than what you would have yep. it. Yep. So, and I'm just learning this as I go. Mm-hmm. And, but I would say in, if you were to start at like a keynote speaking, uh, price point in higher education, if it's students or staff, um, I think you're looking at, at and the average would at least be 3000 nice. up to 4,500. And my agency, which who I liked and I'm not with anymore, but they used to not want me to charge travel separately, um, because it was easier for the school or whatever. But now that I'm on my own and I've added that fee plus travel, ah. I've never had a school balk at that. There you go. And because I'm in LA, most of my work, honestly, is in the Midwest to the East Coast. So Mm. that can really add up. Oh, yeah. Especially depending. Yeah. And sometimes schools are in really weird places and getting to it is like that airport's more expensive or whatever. Oh, yeah. From Ubers to... Yep. 
everything. So, um, yeah. Yeah, that's, because that's I little... like that. I like that advice too. And I think starting out, maybe it feels like, oh, you're trying to make it easier for them. But in the end, you know, if you charge 4500 and it actually is going to take you 2 k to get there because of the various things, it's like, oh, shit. Well, you know what I mean? Like by lumping oh, it gosh. together, you don't really have control over airline prices or right. all that. You know what I mean? And depending yeah. on where it is. Or if so... they book you just a few weeks in advance. Like, exactly. Yeah, then that's going to be more expensive. So that's a really great, great tip. Yeah. Awesome. So I love, I love that you brought up that you hired and worked with an agency. I think, um, you know, a, a typical question I ask my guests is like, where'd you go for help? Because, you know, mm-hmm. most of us don't know how to start a business or, or, you know, start, you know, right, like pricing or um, marketing, and there's so many different facets. So um, if you wouldn't mind sharing any other places you went for help, um, or other advice that you got from people, um, because I think that's a, a a good um, thing to really be open about as well. We're not doing this alone, right? Oh, absolutely. And I was so lucky once I started to blog and then Ah, I put put out the intention that I wanted to start speaking on Facebook. Yep. I had people DMing me saying, you know, like how they would want to help. Or sometimes you just need to declare what you want. Say it. Yep. A podcast to, you know, now you want to start coaching. Uh, I found it very, very powerful to declare it before you even have your shit together because mm. it's the community around you that's going to rally you. Oh, that's huge. Even that first keynote you do, like if I look back to the keynote I did at Occidental College, mm. it was my very first one, both the slides and probably what I said would just be so laughable. Yeah, totally. Um, I've just grown so much. Yep. But at the time, they loved it. And I'm yeah. Like, I'm sure it was great. You're going to grow. Yep. Um, so my first class that I taught was horrible. <laughs> right. It's right. the same thing. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. So I reached out to other people that were speaking both full time as well as let's say a That's vice great. president that would do kind of this side thing or another faculty member. So, and that was also, that was already built into me as a doc student networking mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and and that was also the time when I finally jumped onto Twitter to start to network there. Cool. So yeah, uh, I really just put myself out there if I knew them or not to. That's um, a great ask tip. Some of yeah. those really great questions. And then what I so two other things that I did sure. that I think were really great tips was I would ask, well, are you looking for someone in the next year mm. um, that I might be able to fill one of your programming needs from students to staff to faculty, or is somebody else um, that you know? especially if I was talking to like a vice president or dean. And typically always they would hand me off to someone else if they weren't. Um, So that was one tactic. The other one was I wrote down 10 people that I feel like I had really strong relationships with at various campuses that I had that social cloud, that social network um, and capital with. Mm -hmm. And that was when I was saying my intentions that I want to speak. Um, Mm -hmm. And I asked that same thing, say, I'm this is something that I want to add into, you know, my offerings. Do you need somebody in the next year yep. to year and a half? Uh, and again, if you don't, if, if you don't, is there anyone else you'd recommend? And I would say my first 10 things came just from, just from that. that internal network. Um, yeah. and it, it quickly, like the pricing quickly got established because yeah. the, 
the beautiful thing about social, it's social proofing you. So yeah. you go speak somewhere and then it documents you like, okay, Going Josie's out, a speaker now. Being Even wanted. if it was just yep. a few months in, sure. um, that validates it. Yep. So obviously you got to back it up that you're actually good. And that's for the long <laughs> haul, right? <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah. And because a lot of times, yeah, the, those kind of events have a hashtag that you can follow. Yeah. So you have this like public evidence. Um, yeah that um yeah that you were speaking and stuff i love that last part too um this is such a great way to get clients and um which is the indirect ask which is like hey if you're not looking do you know anyone else who's looking right or you can even if you if 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 it feels like too much of a stretch of the person you're asking you could actually start with the hey i'm i'm doing this if you know anybody who's looking for this kind of speaking can you connect me with people and that's such a great way to indirectly kind of ask that person too because they're technically being asked and they'll think about themselves first and then they'll be like oh yeah, I have these other people. So it's a great strategy yeah. when kind of reaching out, um, you know, in a, in a way to serve people and to, and mm -hmm. to get some of those first initial clients and not even first. I mean, that's a strategy strategy that I use because most of my kind of consulting on courses is built on referrals. So going mm -hmm. back to my previous clients that have paid me like, you know, Hey, I have this new offer. Do you know anyone who needs it? And I'm also thinking that they might be good at, for it too, but I'm instead of saying, do you want to give me money? I'm saying, do you know anyone who wants to give me money, right? Totally right. different kind of conversation. Um, so yeah, nice. We're getting sales strategies in this Ugh. in this podcast episode. And That's great. I have no formal training in this. So yeah. the business side, <laughs> the mm. entrepreneur side has been a work in progress. Right. And, and that's why podcasts like yours and just other networks have been, you know, really critical, mm -hmm. honestly, in because there was a couple times in the last, you know, so I've been doing this about three and a half years. I'm okay. doing this as in like, okay, this is, I'm going to see where this goes. Totally. Um, and I wondered like, is this sustainable? Like, can mm. I actually make enough money? Yeah. Um, and I have a very supportive partner. Um, so I'm not alone, luckily in this. And that's the, there's the two other kind of caveats that I give sure. is that I've got my partner's yep. income for us to rely upon. And I also don't have an employer full-time that I have to negotiate potential conflicts with. Yep. And That's when you big. talk about like side hustles for administrators or faculty on campuses, they do have, um, depending on the institution, they've mm -hmm. got more, more of a dance. They have to become well, well versed in that, um, you know, that I, that I, I don't. When did you uh, leave full time then? Like, when did you decide um, to not be working for an institution like salaried position? So that was um, January, 2013. Okay. So yeah. I then had about two years left in my doc program. Got it. And still, I didn't know at the time, uh, my, my, Plan B, I guess you could say, mm. was I was going to go and find a full-time faculty role sure. in higher education, student affairs. Um, and still probably the year to two years after, that was kind of like, okay, if this doesn't go, it's I'm going to go back yeah. into faculty, which honestly, I felt like held me back. Ooh. And my husband always says, don't have a plan B, like Ooh. sleep in a car. It, when you run a business, you have to be all in, like relentless. It's very true. And um, we don't sleep in a car, thankfully. <laughs> but I, 
it was just honestly this last year and a half that I have gone all in into nice. my business. And yeah. I had a coach, honestly, that really yeah. helped me break through that and say, I am a business. Like I literally mm. have a sticky note on my desk that says it and not with feeling kind of shame about it or yeah. embarrassed in education. Like, no, this is a business I need to not just track my expenses, but like now I have two members of my team that are remote and part-time yep. that help support me. And like I'm investing in some software beyond just kind yep. of ad hoc stuff. And yep. it's, honestly, I feel pretty boss about it. It's pretty <laughs> badass. I love it. No. And that's a big moment. Um, and I think I was kind of like your, you know, your partner's like, I was just like, kind of like burn the bridge and we're going all in. And my husband joined, was like, I'm going to do it with you. Uh, the quote unquote, safer, smarter move would have been him staying in his, he was tenure track. He was one semester away from getting tenure, by the wow. way. And he was like, nah, I'm going to come with you. And so <laughs> we both left and yeah, you know, could have been safer, but part of us was like, you know, he's like, it's only going to hold us back. Like this is already a thing in progress. Like uh, the safety net, you're probably going to, complete less you'll probably you know um not put all on the table because you don't have the pressure to like create something so we totally understand that logic and so yeah we've kind of taken that from the very beginning but we also to be fair with the caveats and everything is we looked around our, our like our house and we're like we could sell the house we can sell the car mm -hmm. we can sell all this stuff so we actually literally sold everything we owned um and our house did really well uh we're in northern california it did fantastic uh last year wow. last may and we basically were house sitting for the last nine months or something like that so we knew the big kind of takeaway is that we knew that money was everywhere that's what i literally said mm. out loud and oh then it gosh. was like yeah like i can do this like i have support around me no we didn't have like all these months saved up or anything like that but we're like this is totally possible um if if you want it and that was what it felt like like i was deciding that i wanted it um and so we were able to take that plunge but that leap of faith um from what i'm gathering from pretty much every business owner that i've ever talked to someone who goes in to work for themselves or start a side hustle has to happen like yeah you, you basically can't start a business without a leap of faith at some point in the journey yeah and yeah i actually yeah. blogged about that mm. of, of leaving my job i did call it like that leap of faith which mm -hmm. sometimes felt like a free fall oh totally um and yeah. then other times it felt like floating like mm, i was just yes. in this vortex of like where am i in my life yep and that process though in you know now just turning 30 what am i 37 or 38 i don't keep track, 37 I'm, I'm about to be 36 yeah i'm um, 30 yeah. flirting and thriving whatever um it, i went through a ton of growth as a human sure, being sure and that also was really powerful because what held me back working on a campus um was at least where I was. And there were so many beautiful things about it and the work that I got to do. But I I got so insular of like, this one campus is the number one thing in the world. And it wasn't like, mm. it, or not or being passed over for a promotion or um, I, I, I don't think I saw my value until I got out of it. Like I was valued, yeah. but I don't think I would have started to blog or think about starting a business if I was still on a campus. Mm -hmm. because um, there was just so much different priorities um, yep. at the time. Yep. So it's, 
it is a, um, so, you know, sometimes that growing a business is like a violent storm. And sometimes sure. it's just this freaking gorgeous sunset that you're crying over and right? proud of. Yeah. And that's the whole thing. And you got to kind of strap in for it. Totally. That's exactly. I completely and totally have the same feelings. Uh, there's it's it's riskier, but the reward can be so much greater. And I've yeah gone through so much more personal growth than I ever did as a teacher. I mean, I went through a lot of personal growth as a teacher, too. And that was also a beautiful experience and as a scholar and all of that. But mm-hmm. um, not as like quickly (laughs) like Mm -hmm. it's like in a given like a quarter is like what most people accomplish in a year when you're running a business for yourself Um, right so it's pretty intense but it's also really cool that I can you know wake up one day and be like I don't have to call in sick if I feel like doing this or I get to create something and and this is my revenue goal for that I mean it's really cool it's very empowering at the same time a lot of pressure but very empowering Yes. Yeah. Well, so that was the other thing my coach worked with me on a year and a half ago. Keith Edwards, he's fantastic. Mm. He's another one that should be on the podcast. Ooh, got it. Um, he um he was pointing out all these other value ads of mm. this type of work, right? So you could sell your house and li- live anywhere yep. or that and I even posted this on Instagram today like I'm working this weekend but I actually look forward to it because I can take a Pilates class and then take a nap and then work on the book and Mm -hmm. then go to happy hour and I can do that honestly seven days a week as long as I don't have a speaking engagement book that day and and that is not normal for most people and that lifestyle is very specific and not everyone would want that but I have to sit back and remind myself like how pretty boss and amazing that is mm-hmm. and that you know just i don't get health insurance right sure. or dental like the the benefits come from other places mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. that uh that is a pretty great ad because it's funny you bring that up about selling everything um, sure i don't know if i could i'm a kind of a homebody and a settler i don't know if i could not have a space but totally we're talking a little bit about like disappearing for a couple months like yeah, living not? in europe and mm-hmm. like Again, like that's just so amazing growing this business. I could do it anywhere. And so possible. Yeah. Right. Yep. It's cool. And like, yeah. And, you know, it was a a good time in our life. You know, we don't have kids or anything. And something about what we were doing felt like, oh my God, let's go travel. Like, because we had restrained ourselves, like, went, you know, to the grind of like finishing the degree, landing the job, you know, doing well in your first years and tenure. I mean, it's a scary thing. So we weren't traveling that much. We weren't. Um, doing what we used to do kind of, I don't know, as undergrads and even as grad students. And so we, the freedom is, because I don't know, as a grad student, I had a lot of free time too, right? And so, um, well, some people, and I I substituted and I did some stuff, but my husband was like a full-time grad student. But you kind of wake up every day and you can do whatever you want. Like it's bad if you're not doing your research, but you have autonomy. So, you know, we were figuring out what those first three years of teaching looked like for us. And then, and then this business, started and I was like oh it could be even you know I could actually do that again right but actually be making money not be poor because <laughs> right. that's a totally yeah. different um, yeah. yeah so well, your yeah, standard the of living whole psychology around making money too Ooh, yes. in education also breaking mm-hmm. that down mm-hmm. um, and it, from talking openly about what we charge to actually celebrating right like yeah. I just hit my first year at six figures amazing and congratulations like, that's a big thank deal thank you but I, at first when I'm like oh gosh like I can't tell anyone that right or is that yeah. bad if I say that but 
holy cow, like I've been working for that for years. Yeah. Like why not? No. I, and that's the thing I'd love to hear about. You were talking about not wanting to name it a business as being like Mm -hmm. a big leap for you. Yeah. Um, what, what do you think was, and it sounds like you worked through this with a coach, but what do you think was holding you back from really naming it as such? Was there preconceived notions about what, you know, someone who has a business looks like? Um, it sounds like it was a little bit of what you thought your, you know, colleagues or people in academia would think if you could speak a little bit to that. I mean, if I was to just give the bare bones of it, if I called it a business, then it could fail. Mm-hmm. And I hate failure. Most academics like, do. So there's that. I don't play softball <laughs> anymore on like rec teams because I'm not good at it like I mm-hmm. used to be. Um, mm-hmm. So I want to take things on that I know I'm going to be good at. I wanted yeah. to podcast for about a year until I finally pushed record because I was just over-researching everything to do about it. Ah. So... So again, like that leap of faith that just like you jump just and have figure to do it, it out. Yeah. That's yep. part of this business thing too. Like I yep. heard an analogy the other day of, you know, being in a startup or a new business is, you know, you're, the plane is taking off while you're building, building it. it. <laughs> yeah, like, totally. You like literally have to just roll with that yep. guy high. And, yep. um, I think that was the piece way deep down in there that I was fearful of it not working, mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. if when there were struggles, like, sure. um, and if I'd enjoy it because mm-hmm. I do miss parts of my roles on sure. college campuses and sure. especially the, the longer investment with students. Um, yep. and that is why I've built a, a relationship with Florida State University. So I'm an online research associate and instructor. Oh, that's cool. So I kind of get to dip the toe, my toes and it's like my, my sandbox, of, yeah. like working through some curriculum and always getting to know what students are really experiencing and using with social. Yeah. Um, I think for your line, what your business is, I think that's a, I think that's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Well, and yeah. luckily, um, with my research role, I get to stay actively researching in a very legit way, mm. like still having it to be published uh, scholarly, uh, presenting at conferences that isn't just something ad hoc. Totally. Um, so that's yeah. been a good value too. So I'm, I'm kind of piecing these things together about what it really means to be the business of me because I really am selling like JosieAquas.com, yeah, right? It's totally not are. this other thing. So my podcast is Josie and the Podcast. My my Got it. live show is Josie Live. Yep. Uh, so the personal branding, which yeah. I think is a great so thing to well, name. I think yeah. just working through the ish of yourself is required mm. in business. Oh yes, and coming out the other side of it because the business is comes right. through you at least for now, right? right? Well, because yeah. people are buying my knowledge and yep. my personality of me. Yep. Um, so yeah, I. I think honestly, if you if you are listening and even have that inclining of a desire or you're struggling with that having being part of your identity, the exercise that I did was I literally wrote it on a post-it note and put it up. Yeah. I am a business. Yeah. And it's to this day, it's so powerful. Yep. Even if it's the side business or you still have to figure out what that business is going to be, mm-hmm. you have value, whether you are a scholar, a researcher, you come from administration, 
um, we need to amplify our our knowledge and scale it um, yes, we in do. ways that. Um, honestly, we we need to look at outside of our industry a little bit to be yep. inspired by how others are, um, what tools they're using, their story um, telling methods. Which yep. my husband's industry has been very helpful for that as oh, well. Oh, cool! What does your husband do? Well, so he's honestly the content creator in nice. the family. He, nice. He's a comedian by trade. That's how I. Oh my met gosh! Him. I love it. I met him as a college student two months before I graduated at South Dakota State University. And we were long distance for two years. We just hit it off oh, wow. right away. This was before Skype and text right? messaging. Yep. So we've been together a very, very long time. And I just knew from day one, he was talented and hilarious. Um, and when YouTube came out, him and his buddy, Pete, who he's been um, doing shows with for years... Um, had this idea when we were on the beach about doing these um, rap battles of characters uh, against history. Oh my gosh. And um, Pete had already had a YouTube channel that he was playing around with. He was making these silly songs and doing these picture shows. And they had $250 and created a rap battle, um, John Lennon versus Bill O'Reilly. And oh it went viral. Oh, I feel like maybe I saw that. Yeah. So <laughs> the series is called Epic Rap Battles of History. And and honestly, that was a little intimidating too, oh, thinking about my place online and as a business because he still is a very public figure, even though they're on a break with the series. They've got like 13 or 14 million subscribers. Wow. Um, their demographic is boys and sure. young men and cool Is he uncles. doing like Patreon or what's, how is he, what is, what are his income streams? So it's primarily uh, Google, um, okay. like YouTube um, ads. The ads. ads. Okay. Um, when they were actually creating content, they would get uh, brand deals. Now, because they're kind of in this off season, a lot of income is coming from going out and doing live shows because yeah. they do the rap battles live. Yeah. Um, and then, but he's kicking off a podcast. Um, nice. He's got his own YouTube channel too, um, where he does, you know, different. Uh, songs and um he's a poet hip-hop guy too so he does his own stuff there um yeah so it, it was so also, fun it was inspiring but also intimidating to see like sure. okay my blog post got maybe like 300 <laughs> you, you live with a pro yeah you got 300 million okay well yeah. we're, we're comparing different things right totally uh, but i yeah. learned so much behind the scenes oh i bet and oh, I bet. honestly i feel like the next thing for me well not even the next because when i go to talk to students i'm trying to inspire them to be content creators and not just consumers yep yep from yep. creating youtube channels and blogs or live streaming or whatever but I want to, my, my, what I'm rattling around in my head, and I don't think this would be an income stream, and maybe it would, is where can I build... Girl, digital- anything's monetizable. <laughs> sure. Where can I build a digital community for young teens and adults? Membership that- site. Yeah. You have a membership site. Mom and dad, add me to this membership site. Yes. Uh, because, I, because I only go to you know so many campuses and conferences a year, how can I... Support them, them in, in a longer where, way. Mm-hmm. When we go to things like VidCon, which is basically a conference con- oh, yeah. for video content creators. There's so many. They're all young kids and they yep. all want to be yep. YouTube when they grow up yep and it's such a cool community uh, from you know celebrities to to geeky weirdos and um 
all across the board. And as this educator, like student development, empowerment person, I'm like, where can I keep connecting the dots for them? Mm -hmm. Um, Showing them what's possible. Yeah. Yeah. So they can find each other in collaborations or learn. Um, So, because I think at the end of the day, I am now finally embracing this idea of being a business, but I Mm -hmm. always find so much joy in my identity as an educator. And I think that can come out and hopefully also bring in revenue streams. Um, So, uh, so yeah, we can teach everywhere. Like the world is a classroom really. And like, and, um, you know, people will pay for this knowledge for these shortcuts for the, you know, the ability to learn from others. And I think that's the mindset shift that has to happen with professors if they want to tap into this is that like what we know is valuable. I'd love to to hear your thoughts on um, the skills that have really benefited you in starting a business that you can directly relate to being in academia? Mm. Well, I would say the network that came mm. in yes, handy you highlighted immediately. That, and sure. again, my, I, was sta- I knew at least to start, I was going to be in higher ed still. So I wasn't trying to then all of a sudden start this business for ed, like a tech companies or corporations or even K-12, which sure. would be a whole other network and, and means to approach them. So in writing it down, like sometimes you don't realize just um, who you have access to and the relationships mm. you've built up over potentially decades. And and then doing the ask. Um, yes, that's either, a big deal. And the ask could be, and we talked about this before, about like, well, do you need someone? But it also mm. could just be market research. So mm-hmm. tell me what are you struggling with right now as it relates to social media and tech or whatever it is that you are that you're looking to provide, that problem yep. you're looking to solve. Like, especially for me, that's not on a college campus every day. Now is I need to keep my you know, pulse to what's really going on. So I jump on phone calls with presidents that I know aren't going to hire me, but they're going to tell me, well, this is what's working right now. And this is what isn't. Mm. Um, Or college students too. Like, why are you crying over Snapchat right now? Oh, they did. (laughs) I understand. Um, Because I need to let everybody else back on campus know, like, What's Snap, what's yeah. the deal with Snapchat? <laughs> what's the deal? So, yeah. um, I, I'm just so surprised how if you talk about online networking and you like connect with someone on Twitter and that's it. Um, the real value is you have to take it the next step and reach out to them in a DM and an email if you're building that relationship. So this is kind of the secondary network that has been so widely valuable to me is don't be scared to reach out to people mm. on Twitter or even a DM on Instagram. Like, yep, it, Instagram's it, the next, definitely, oh especially with Instagram stories. Uh, so many, mm-hmm. the what used to be, I w- that's what I loved about Twitter when I was a professor is I was teaching a book and the author was in there and I had a student tweet the author and she responded. And it was like this direct connection. And now there's, yeah, there's a lot of bots and stuff on Twitter. Um, but mm. Instagram now feels like a little bit like getting personal because the Instagram stories to respond to people's stories and be like, oh, I have that same whatever uh, computer or thing that you see in their story. Now you have this amazing connection with them. So that's a great tip because yes, Yes. Instagram, a lot of business owners are now talking about how that's really going to be the next 
not the next market, but the next way of connecting with people um, because yeah. it's like Snapchat, but like it's got mm, it's a little bit, I don't know, classier. <laughs> well, and I think is. the audience is already built the in. The audience, yeah. Yes. So where Snapchat, almost like Slack, and I know we're starting to throw around a, different, oh, a lot of Slack. different apps. <laughs> yeah. If, if you were to de- debate about, do I create a Slack channel or a Facebook group? Um, the barrier to entry, if you think about someone that's never been on Slack versus been on Facebook for 12 yep. years, right? So there's... you have to. I'm about all about Facebook your, for groups. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Your, and yes, absolutely love your Facebook group, by the way. Oh, thanks. Um, Um, But yeah, Instagram stories, um, I left Snapchat over a year ago. It just wasn't adding value to me anymore. And just a really quick, like, because I do social strategy. If you think about stories is, okay, it's going to be 24 hours. So it's like real time, what you want people to know in this day. Mm -hmm. Um, If it's it's just, you know, that status update, like on Facebook or Twitter, or you're trying to get someone to do something right then versus your, your time line like your feed you want that a little bit more evergreen yeah. so i see this happen a lot like departments are promoting something for tonight or tomorrow on instagram on their feed well the algorithm may not actually show it in someone's feed for up to four days yeah so think about within instagram how you can work in to what the platform actually provides that's and, a great and, and which tip. two you would select um yep. and i feel like on instagram stories you can just be so much more playful but that actually so is fun. the third thing that i learned um that has been a value to me that may be more difficult for individuals that are used to having a curtain up until they're ready to reveal something. Ah, Um, uh Especially like, let's just think about the publication process is you go through multiple rounds of Uh edits (laughs) or rejections. Rejection. Yeah, for sure. Where in business and especially in um, content creation and online businesses, there is value in documenting your process. Yes. And and even like the failures um, and getting feedback as you go. And I'm honestly trying to take this on more because sometimes we just get busy, right? Like, oh, I haven't post on Instagram stories for two weeks. Oops. But I do get really inspired by others that do um, cycle that into their schedule. I get to see their process of when they started their book to it actually being on the shelves. Mm. And you feel like you're a part of that process with them. And I guarantee through that process, they feel like I can't wait to buy this book because I feel like I've been along with you on this journey. Yes. And that's such a huge, a huge thing because, and and Gary V talks about this too. Like that's how he puts out so much content is like literally people just, well, first of all, follow him around. But he's like, if you're not documenting the process, you're missing content because your life is content. Um, And I think if we just look to our own behaviors, like what do we enjoy um, seeing Um, and what are we paying attention to? What are we clicking on? What are we watching? Hey, like you might be your own kind of maybe not perfect ideal client, but you're probably, um, someone within a certain age range (laughs) that has certain, you know, whatever beliefs and values and stuff. If you, if you're talking to yourself, um, as part of your business, 
you should be showing that because you are your behavior online is actually evidence for what is currently working and what is not. Totally. And that's yeah. just my last fourth thing. And sure. Talking about Gary Vee and content is mm. you have so much content just in your Dropbox and Google Drive oh, that gosh. could be repurposed. Yeah. Uh, I learned that from blogging and using papers for my courses, but also now every presentation that I do, even this podcast will have quotables and you do this really yep. well that you create graphics yep. that then can help amplify the episodes and what you're doing. Yep. Um, so if you're worried about creating new content, I would go back to what already is out there yep. and just start to see how you could repurpose it in digital format that's digestible, that can come to life on something like Instagram or um, Facebook or blogging. Um, that's a really great Yes, it's so good. And I think I'm working myself. Well, it's a little bit harder because I feel like, well, this is some inside, but like I feel like I'm navigating two businesses right now. I have this like course creation business with entrepreneurs and I help them create courses, but now I'm developing this audience around professors. And I was just like, it feels like my social media presence is being split. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's interesting because. I really don't believe it's that split as I'm making it, but I have some weird block around it, which is funny. But I think about um, all the stuff I've created around the content business or the course business is still relevant to professors, but it's, it is about how do I weave that together and just show up as all of me. And Mm -hmm. I think getting into this whole thing of showing my process and showing what's possible and and all this stuff is going to inspire professors and all that other thing. So I'm kind of in that myself where, um, you know, I, I, a way I'm repurposing is I'll go live on Facebook and then I'll send it off to Rev which is a transcript service. We all are familiar with transcripts. If you did qualitative research, I personally <laughs> did. Um, but yeah, we're, you know, we're getting that documentation. We're getting the quotes, right? And then that can be given to somebody on my team who actually creates Facebook posts out of it, Twitter, like tweets. Um, we haven't gotten into the doing it on Instagram yet, but that's going to be possible too. I'm kind of rebranding right now. So I'm getting some of my uh, social media graphics and stuff in order. But that's kind of how you have to think about about it. And me showing up on a Facebook Live is easy. If you were to ask me to write a tweet, to write a Facebook post, to also write an Instagram post, like this is where the overwhelm happens. So what is the best way for me to show up? For some people, it's blogging. So if you do like to write, write that blog, hey, then pop on Facebook Live and do a quick live about it. Or, you know, pull some of those things as as tweets, pull those things as Instagram posts. Pinterest is another thing that works really great for blogs. So I think starting from what you're really good at and what's easy yep. for you, and then hiring people to kind of crank out some of the other stuff that you're not that good at. And there's amazing yes. ways to outsource um, right. stuff in business for sure. And there's a million tools and places you a can million have a tools, on, which can be overwhelming. Yes. So <laughs> honestly, like just select one, and maybe yes. every quarter, semester, year, you take on another one yep. Um, and think That's about great, well, where's my tip. audience for that? Because Instagram is the highest demographic is 35 and below. So, mm. and not to say that there isn't other demographics of ages on there, but if you really, let's say, know your audience is going to trend more, like especially with faculty, let's say, and you want to really work with those that have been there, you know, like have at least 15 years of experience, um, they your bread and butter may be more suited for Facebook or Twitter yep, about yep. where they are. So 
get some knowledge about yep. where these platforms already give you access into. Because my Instagram strategy is one that's much more youthful and playful because I know college students. You're hitting the college student there. there. Yeah. Yep. So, yep. And, and young professionals. Um, so I lean into that um, based yeah. on that platform. Nice. Very good. Very good tips. Awesome. Well, this has been so fun. So Josie, I would love, you know, people I'm sure would love to find you online, especially with all your knowledge of social media and your knowledge of consulting. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if you're coaching anyone on how to get consulting (laughs) gigs or get uh, speaking gigs, because I could see that as being very valuable. There's already Mm -hmm. in my head people in the community that I know want to get into this. So I'm going to definitely connect them with you. Um, But yeah, where can people find you? Where are you hanging out? Sounds like Twitter for sure. <laughs> yes. Well, my main hub is my website, josielquist.com. You can mm-hmm. find me on every social media platform because at least I'm exploring it at Josie Alquist. Awesome. I have a podcast called Josie and the Podcast that features uh, leaders on campus uh, as well as in marketing, communications, as well as college students where we talk about tech and leadership. Nice. Um, and, and yes, I do coaching. It first started when executives were asking me like, what the heck is this app or how do I get mm. on it? And it has extended now to faculty and business owners and nonprofit. Uh, because sometimes this, uh, and my coaching is very tailored to the social strategy, digital identity process of a professional or an entrepreneur, um, because mm-hmm. it's very personal. So when you're trying to figure out what's my identity on Twitter, as both a faculty member, a, a mom, yep. and a, a business owner, how do I mesh those in? So I feel like I'm a whole person and I'm being authentic Such and a great, real yeah. and getting this work done that I, I need to amplify on the tool. And honestly, so that good. sometimes takes more personal conversations that are better suited than a workshop in front of your yep, department. Yep. So um, I'm loving those one-on-one conversations, which of course I can do anywhere. So you can find that on the website too. Perfect. Yay. Yeah. Well, this has been so fun and I can't wait to recommend you too. I feel like as professors start really getting into this idea of building a personal brand, and potentially doing some consulting, they're going to need social media strategy. Yes, absolutely. And I mean, we're both in SoCal. We are both. Yeah. Well, now we need to meet in person. Let me know. (laughs) Do you ever, are you coming down to San Diego for anything? There's definitely a lot of like conferences and stuff in Southern California. Um, Yeah. My my husband, uh, let's give him a name. Yeah. Since we've been talking about him. <laughs> his name's Lloyd. Lloyd. Um, he's known as Epic Lloyd online. Oh, he has a comedy show in San Diego at the end of May <gasps> with another YouTuber, Ray William Johnson. So I'll send you those dates. That, that would, would be, be so fantastic. fun. Yes. Meet up. Let's okay. do it. Let's do it. <laughs> Very cool. Well, thank you so much, Josie. And I look forward to hanging out with you online and following you and uh, watching your magic. Awesome. Thanks for having me on. Bye. Bye. Thank you.